0: Today, we have Tarrant County Judge Glenn Whitley, who presides over Tarrant County Commissioner's Court, as our speaker. He is a leader on transportation, efficient government, and supports veterans and military families, as well as youth and children's issues. Judge Whitley earned an accounting degree from the University of Texas at Arlington, served in the U.S. Naval Reserve, and co founded the accounting firm of Whitley Penn in 1983. Judge Whitley was first elected to the Hearst Euless Bedford Independent School District Board of Trustee in 1993, and later elected as Tarrant County Commissioner in 1996, and then as Tarrant County Judge in 2006. He and his wife, Brenda, live in Hearst, and they have three grown children and seven grandchildren. So it's a pleasure to have Judge Whitley here. Thank you. Thank you. And hopefully, we won't have too much feedback. One of those uh, grown children is right over here. Jonathan uh, is here with us today. We are, uh, you know, I, for the longest time I said, Boy, if we could have figured out how to have grandchildren without having children, uh, we would have been in great shape. Uh, my wife made me stop saying that. Um, but we are very fortunate and we're very proud of all of our kids. Um, there's a lot of stuff going on in Tarrant County. I will tell you that I'm very proud to represent you as Tarrant County Judge. And the first thing I usually have to do and, and say when somebody you know, asks me what I do and I tell them, well, I'm Tarrant County Judge, the first thing they want to know or what kind of cases do you hear? And I have to explain to them that I don't hear cases, that I'm a CPA. Uh, that confuses them even more. And so what I have finally gotten around to saying is in Texas, The commissioner's court is like a city council, and the county judge is like the mayor of the county. And we and I am very fortunate to work with four commissioners, uh, and together I think we do everything we can to watch every dime you pay to us in the form of county taxes or in the form of hospital taxes. Commissioner Fickus, as y'all all know, uh, is the county commissioner for up in this area. This was the area I represented before I ran for county judge. This is the very first tax increment financing district uh, that I was able to participate in as a county commissioner. Uh, that would have been in 1997 when Rick Stacy, Curtis Hawks, and Brian Stebbins came to uh, to talk with me about this concept and about this idea. And at that point in time, This was nothing but pasture land from 1709 to 114. Your city council had the foresight to work with the developer to be able to plan the development that occurred here as opposed to just letting it happen. Because when you just let it happen, you don't have the organization, you don't have what you ended up with. Uh, Which is an absolutely fantastic development. It accomplishes just what they said that day when they sat down at lunch. They said, We're looking, you know, we know we're a suburban community. We want the feel of the old town square. And we think we can make that happen if you'll work with us. And we did, and they did, and the rest is history. And, you know, every time I have ever come up here, I don't care what time, day, or night it is there are exciting things there are people walking around with their kids it is a quality of life place it helps make south lake what south lake is and that again was because of the foresight your city council had and worked with other with the county as well as working with the business that's important you're going to hear that concept again so what's going on in tarrant county right now economic development Things are really going very, very well in Tarrant County. Again, we're very excited. If you're in the Arlington, now this was a presentation that I actually gave for the state of the county in Arlington last week. So there may be a little more Arlington in here than what you would normally see. I wish I had pictures of Charles Schwab. I wished I had pictures of of TD Ameritrade, of Fidelity, of this town square, because that's what's happening out here. You look at Charles Schwab, you look at TD Ameritrade, that's probably close to 7,500 jobs, and those are not low-paying jobs. You look at fidelity, and you look at some of the other exciting things that are occurring out in this area, again, planning. That's, again, your local uh, elected officials working together to make things happen and not curbing what's happening. Great things are happening in Texas, we got Globe Life Park that is going to open about a year from now, 40,000 seats, $1.2 billion project, first pitch is going to be 2020. They allowed, they gave me a video, taken in the last couple of weeks, that talks about the progress that's being made there. Let's watch the, the video for just a second. To me it's amazing that all that stuff can be going on at the same time, all those cranes operating at the same time, and them not falling all over one another. But that's, again, what happens. Um, Texas Live, a $100 million project. If you've not been to Texas Live, you really ought to take the time to go out there. Uh, 1,000 permanent jobs, 200,000 square foot facility. It is a fantastic place. Fort Worth, the Dickey's Arena will open later this fall. First concert, it's a multi-purpose center, 14,000 seats. First concert, the King, George Strait. What else would you do in Fort Worth? Uh, It's going to be a great facility. We're very, very excited. Again, public-private partnership. Uh, Again, working with the private sector to make things happen. Amazon Air, going to open this year. Will become operational this year. $90 million investment, 1,000 jobs. We already talked about SWAB. We already talked about Ameritrade. We've talked about Fidelity. Great things happening all over the county. Again, collaboration. So looking at all of this, all these great things going on, tremendous acceleration, what could slow this thing, what could possibly slow us down? 69 days and counting. And, you know, we, 140 days every two years. We have lobbied hard for two days every 140 years, but we had not been successful yet. We're going to keep working on it, but we have not been successful yet. Uh, recently, I had an opportunity to hear Tom lose. Tom is... Luce is a former Assistant Secretary of Education. And he has begun looking at where is Texas going to be in 2036 as we celebrate our bicentennial and as we move into the third century. They say a picture is worth a thousand words. That must mean that a video is worth a million. So let's listen to just a moment for his for a video. Ray Perryman is a respected economist that speaks often in front of the Texas legislature about issues that are affecting our economy. He, as did Tom, talks about the fact that Texas ranks number one overall in business, but there are concerns about our workforce and and where we're going to be uh, as we continue to move toward that 2036. Educated workforce is extremely critical. We've talked a lot about it, we've heard a lot about it since the the last year, but we've got to focus more uh, on that. In addition to that, we also have got to focus on our infrastructure. Uh, the traffic, the congestion. Two things that if you look more and more around that 2036 website that you find is that by 2036, they're saying that 65% of the jobs are going to require some certification or a two- or a four-year degree. Currently, we're at about the 20% level as far as what we're producing. So we've got to make strides in that area. Population by 2036, 41 million. We're now at 28 million. If we wanna keep people moving to Texas, we've gotta keep them moving after they get here. Let's talk a little bit more about education. Currently, Texas ranks 41st in funding per student as compared to the other 50 states. That means there's only nine states that are investing less in their children than Texas is. When you look at a performance, K through 12, we rank 29th. So what that says is our teachers are doing more with less But I don't think any of us are satisfied with either one of those numbers. Now, just throwing extra dollars at it, oftentimes you'll hear, well, that that doesn't do anything. Throwing dollars isn't gonna make a difference. Well, Dallas ISD, a couple of years ago, started a pilot. And what they did is they took their lowest performing elementary schools. They put more money in there to incentivize their best teachers to come and to teach in those schools. They made dramatic advancements in the first year And they have continued to make advancements every year since that point in time. Local decisions about how to best fix local problems. That's very, very important. Dallas ISD is the only major urban school that has got a B in the recent ratings versus the C that everyone else has got. Early childhood development if we 're really going and you know if we 're really going to fix the problem of education what we 've got to do is we 've got to have the kids prepared as they entered public education. When my wife and I were first married, she was a first grade teacher. They had just started kindergarten and they 'd started kindergarten because they weren 't ready for first grade today we 're starting pre kindergarten and we 're starting it for the same reason the kids aren 't ready for kindergarten, so when are we going to realize that we 've got to start with quality child care? from the very beginning. If parents cannot, if one of the parents cannot stay at home and help raise the children for that 24-hour or for that 8-hour period, then we've got to make sure that they're put in quality childcare. And folks, that's especially important with the economically disadvantaged. Now, I'm just going to tell you, South hasn't got a whole lot of those. But Fort Worth ISD, three out of every four students is economically disadvantaged. H-E-B, where I was on the school board in the early 90s, is now about 60% economically disadvantaged. So in those situations, you have parents, really you have a single mother, you have parent, who's basically working two, maybe three jobs, trying to put clothes, food, and roof, and they, they don't have the ability, they don't have the time to be able to, to help hug, nurture, in a lot of cases during the day, to teach them numbers and letters and colors. So we've gotta make sure that we have quality childcare. A Couple of sessions ago, the governor put out an initiative, tried to pass an initiative on early childhood development, didn't get there. We need to encourage him to go forward with that. Now this has been our education, and I hope that what I've shown you is we have a challenge there. As we go forward, we need to look at that challenge. Now let's talk a little bit about our infrastructure, and I wanna start off again with a video to kinda, and this one's by Texas A&M, Transportation Institute. Again, 28 million today. We're moving toward 41 million. We've got to look at preparing our infrastructure. The plans that the DOT has said, and I'll give you some numbers in a minute, on what they say the needs are, is what is needed to maintain a C. You know, They keep going back to this C rating, and I, I'm going to tell you that when, when I was growing up and when my son was growing up, C was not a grade that we were proud of when you came in. If it was a C on your report card, you had some splaining to do. And so we talk about that, and I don't think as, as Texans we should be satisfied as we move forward with that. Gas tax, again, it's not been increased since 91, 92, somewhere in that time frame. Texas ranks 42nd when you compare our gas tax to other states. And remember, that's the 20 cent number If you take the 5 cent that goes to education and you bring us down to 15 cents, now we rank 49th as we go forward with that. Public-private partnerships, um, managed lanes, those were things that we did a decade ago, and it has resulted in probably between just Dallas, Tarrant, Denton, and Collin County, we've probably invested $20 billion in the last decade. The legislature stopped our ability to enter into those public-private partnerships, uh, last session or the session and the session before that, why I don't know that I understand because we you know we constantly hear well we need to work with the private sector on charter schools we constantly hear that the state is outsourcing jail beds with the private sector, mental health beds with the private sector, but for some reason working with the private sector on roads is taboo, and that's because basically. Uh, a few people are screaming and hollering that they don't like to pay tolls. I'm going to tell you when I see the tolls, I love to get in that toll lane because I know I'm going faster. Now I'm a cheap person, uh, so I you know a lot of times I'll ride in that toll lane when it's 70 cents or 95 cents or you know it's it's those off hours. And I recently was saying that to somebody, and they said, No, no, you don't understand. What you do is when you see it's five dollars and ninety five cents, because I also know you're an impatient person. That's when you want to ride in that toll lane because when it's 595, that means it's stopped in the free lanes. And so that's when you do want to be riding in those toll lanes. Between now and 2036, TxDOT has estimated that their need to maintain that C is $324 billion, 202 for expansion, 122 for maintenance. Currently, to meet that need, there, we're bringing in about $7.5 billion a year. So that $7.5 billion is going to have to grow by 9.5% per year in order to meet the $324 billion need that we have by 2036. And oh, by the way, that's just for the state. Cities and counties have about four times the road miles to maintain and to build as the state does. So when I talk about don't limit cities and their ability to help, what I'm saying is there's several proposals down there right now where they're talking about 2.5% caps on cities and counties and school districts and local governments. When you do that, in effect, what you're going to do is you're going to handcuff cities and counties from being able to do certain things. And roads and bridges, are going they're not going to take a priority over police and fire. The other thing that will, though, is that the quality of life type stuff. Remember me talking earlier about that. So, you know, you've just got to say to your representatives and to your state senators, don't limit local government. We'll limit them if we want to, and we'll limit them on the election times. And you'll have that ability to do that. So what's what's it going to take to keep this miracle alive that we've got going on right now? Basically, I think we have to increase our commitment to public education. We've also got to try to invest more in infrastructure and we can't wait till 2036. As Mr. Luce said, we've got to look to the future. As I said earlier, your city council looked to the future, not to the next election, but to the future. And we've got to continue to strengthen and trust our local government, our local elected officials. When this state became a republic, The leaders at that point in time realized that because of the size and diversity of this state, that they needed to create local government. And when they created it, they they needed to let local government, closest to their particular segment of the population, decide what their folks wanted and, and how to get there. And that's the beauty of the local government partnership. So what are the obstacles right now that we face in doing that? Obviously adequate funding, we've talked about that, and folks, I don't like paying taxes any more than you do. In fact, I spent my career before running for county government making sure that my clients spent as the least amount of money in taxes as they could legally. And I think that's the thing that we need to look at. But there's a lot of misinformation out there, and if you listen to that misinformation, uh, and I'm going to, you know, I, I am pretty blunt about this Empowered Texans started in 2006. And at that point in time, they started blaming local elected officials for, sp- for overspending and for skyrocketing increases in property taxes. So we've first off got to look at our tax burden, and then we've got to look at the rhetoric about these skyrocketing property taxes. So let's look what the data shows. I'm a bean counter. I thrive on data. Um, and so I think before you look at one category of tax, you first got to step back and look at where we are overall. And as I said earlier, none of us like to pay taxes, but what that, you know, instead of looking at it as a tax, what I want you to think of it is, it's the cost of services. It's the cost of the quality of life you enjoy. And so I think you have to determine that based upon that, are you happy or not with what you're paying for the quality of service that you're getting. And you need to compare that to other states and say, okay, where does Texas rank? If you look at just dollars, dollars collected in state and local revenue, Texas ranks 29th. Okay. The, the, I, I made that statement at a, at a meeting once, and they said, well, yeah, but well, well, wait a minute. The cost of living in Texas is nothing like the cost of living in California, New York. We talked about New York earlier. So, okay, let's look at it from a different perspective. Let's look at it as a percentage of your personal income because, yes, Texas may not pay as much for a specific job as they would have to pay in California or New York because of the cost of living. So you look at it on a percentage basis, and on a percentage basis, Texas is 37th. So what that says is, again, on a cost of living basis, uh, in both those numbers, we're in the bottom half. So again, none of us like to pay taxes, but when you look at it from the cost of services and the quality of life that you're getting from it, and the fact of how we compare with other states, Think about that. Now, let's talk a little bit about, now we can get into a category. And as we look at categories, remember back on that previous chart, when you start talking about sources of income or sources of tax revenue income for the governmental entities, most states are gonna have three sources of income, property tax, sales tax, and the dreaded pit, personal income tax. We don't have it, and I pray we never will. But whenever you think about how high that property tax may be or how high that sales tax may be, just think, well, at least on April the 15th, I'm only mailing one form in, and that's a form to the federal government, and there's not one going into the state, and there's certainly not one going into the local government. So again, 37th as a percentage of personal income, no personal income tax. Um, sales tax, we don't think a sales tax, why? Because we pay it in thousands of transactions over the year. So when, you, when, the, when the state, when Empire Texas wants to, to point to something and be able to say you're, over, you're being overtaxed, they can easily point to property taxes because you either pay it monthly in your escrow and you all know what you're paying, or you pay it once or twice a year and it hurts. It's, it's a big number, but it's one check versus a little bit smaller property tax and a personal income tax. Now, when you look at property taxes, we all know that the 800-pound gorilla – is the school districts. And I think it's important to recognize that when you look at school, it's public education funding. The state has a constitutional obligation to provide a free public education. They created a partnership with the local ISDs. It used to be with the counties. But then when the oil boom came, things were growing so rapidly that they began to develop ISDs. And that's when that partnership began. And originally, when I was you know, back in the early 80s, The state was actually paying 60% local government. You and I, when you hear local government, that's you and I. You and I were paying 40%. When I hit the school board in 93, it was still about that same deal. But they created a formula which, in times of rising property taxes, penalizes you and I and benefits the state. Because they look at what we pay first, and then they make up the difference. They set the funding level. They determine how much we're gonna pay for each student. I contend that they ought to pay an equal amount, they ought to pay half of that, and then figure out how they're gonna allocate the remaining cost over to the, uh, to the local school districts. The formula is broken, but that's the reason why a lot of times in that school district that it's a higher amount. Um, 2017, there was an $8 billion difference between what you and I paid for public education and what the state paid. The eighteen numbers just came out, it went up to ten billion. So we're paying ten billion dollars more statewide than what the state is paying and they're supposed they're the ones that has the responsibility. They're the ones at a minimum should be an equal partner in the deal.